Well, I'm standing up here, and I'm thinking, man, I got too much time today. It's just uh, so I'm sitting down for a minute. I realize I didn't put my microphone on yet. So. Ah, routine. Hey, let's begin today by entering into prayer together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you have rescued us from a certain death in the lake of fire. We thank you, Father, that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to die for us. And he was buried, and then on the third day, he raised him from the dead. And so simply, anyone who believes that good news about Jesus Christ will never perish and has eternal life. That's an amazing gift, Father, and we thank you for it. We thank you for all the gifts that you have blessed us with in your grace. We thank you, Father, for your word that is live and powerful. We thank you for the brothers and sisters in Christ, fellow members of the body of Christ. We thank you for the indwelling Holy Spirit. We thank you also, Father, for your promises and the future that we know is certain when Jesus comes back in the clouds for us and we receive our resurrection bodies and we'll be with him forever. So we thank you for all of these things, Father, and we ask today that in all that will be going on, in the teaching, the singing, the giving, the fellowshipping, the eating, that you will be magnified and that your Holy Spirit may guide it. We ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please stand and worship with us. Good morning again, everybody. Welcome again to Lighthouse Bible Church. Just a few things to let you know about before we get started with the message today. First one is that we'll be having a church luncheon today after the service. All are invited. I want to thank everybody who brought food today for us. And uh, secondly, um, every month we feature a different missionary organization. And this month we're featuring Grace Prison Ministries. Um, it's led up by Keithy and Starling, who is there in the picture. Um, please pray for that ministry. They're going to be um, holding a conference. More about that in a minute. Um, Grace Prison Ministries works to change the lives of prisoners. And they do it through preaching the gospel, evangelism, and then sound Bible teaching on how to live the Christian life. And I mentioned again today that uh, they're having a conference. It's in two weeks. It's uh, October 25th or 26th. And Keithy had asked for our prayers um, as, as many of you know, there's a lot that goes into planning and, and executing a conference, and um, there are expenditures involved. They are going to be doing a lot, printing Bibles, but providing print Bibles, rather, providing books, also providing food and refreshments each day for about somewhere between 100 and 300 inmates, and then writing and pens and musician and all of that. So it's, it's, been, it's always been a great event in the past. I'm sure it will be. Please pray for that. Pray for the success of that, that many hearts will be changed, that the gospel will be preached and people will believe it, and that uh, they'll be built up and edified by the preaching of God's word also. I do want to mention also that um, recently Keithian went to Israel for the first time. And it was, uh, he was just... He was great, grateful for anyone who helped him with that, financially or otherwise. He talked about all the places he went, as you can well imagine, all the biblical places that he went. And he had a tour guide that was very knowledgeable about the history. And so he finds that, doing that, he finds there's more urgency than ever in his, in his ministry. He, can, he understands that Christ could come back at any time, and therefore that's motivating him. And he asks all of us to also be so motivated to preach the gospel to others so that None will perish, is which God's will. Okay. This is their website, by the way, in case you want to visit it. 
Um, you can also, if you'd like to provide a, a financial support, you can certainly do it there. But you can also do it by mailing uh, a check to his uh, mailbox, P.O. Box 171052, Nashville, Tennessee, 37217. And again, that's Grace Prison Ministries. They're having a conference in a couple of weeks. The most important thing we can do is pray for the success of that. The second most important thing we can do is support it in any way that we can, that the Lord has given us to do that. Okay, um, busy week, lots to go over. As many of you know, we started a, 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 a program called First Priority, where, where you get into the public schools after school with Christian clubs, student-run, um, but they, the churches are now plugging into that, providing mentorship and support, and we've, we're starting to do that down the street at Deerfield Beach Middle School. In fact, we had our first session last Wednesday, and I'm pleased to report it went really well. The kids were very attentive. Um, they're kids. They're enthusiastic. We do continue to ask for your prayers in that. And um, also, I think as time goes by, we're going to be working together with the leadership there. And as you know, most public schools have needs that are not really always met. And so there, too, we'd like to come up alongside and talk to the principal and see what perhaps we might be able to do in, in our small way to uh, support his mission in teaching those young people. So as that comes about, I will let you know about that. All right, the third thing is uh, Grace Bible Church, Pakistan. We've been supporting this ministry for many years. It's an incredible ministry. Pakistan is, as you know, a hugely majority Muslim country, and yet the Lord has planted churches like this. This is a ministry that not only has its own people in our Fuala, that's the place where they are, but they also branch out into the towns and the villages. And so they've grown tremendously. They recently built a new building. They have a um, great ministry to children, both the students that are going to their academy as well as orphans. They have an orphanage. So every year, uh, at around this time of year, they, they take donations and put together packages um, for both the students in their academy and students in the villages. And we've supported that many years now. Um, not every year, but we're going to pick it up again this year. They've set a goal of $12,000 and they can do an awful lot with that, um, actually reaching thousands of kids with that. Um, they are looking to get to 200 or more of their academy students. They call that a student package. I'll get more on information on what that's about. Um, actually, I may have a little more right here, actually, now that I think about it. Yeah, um, this, is what, this is what $15 buys you in Pakistan. A new uniform, a winter sweater and hat, new leather shoes, Two pairs of warm socks. And every child in the, in the outlying remote villages, um, well, whoops, there, I want that one. Come on. In the remote villages, um, for $7, they get a Christmas care box, coloring pages, crayons, warm hat, socks, toothbrush, toothpaste, and a meal. Where can I sign up? Right? For $7. In any event, this is what we'll be supporting. Again, here I ask for your prayers, and I also ask you to consider what the Lord um, may be calling you to do to help these, uh, this effort financially. Again, it's $15 per academy school package, $7 per village package. Now, um, I want to change what I told you last week about the donations. Don't make them out to our church. and put the, Don't do that. Make them out to that ministry, just to be clear. All right. So if you're going to write a check, write it out to GBC Pakistan. Okay. 
And then on the comment section of that check, you can note whether you want it targeted to the student package or the village package. And if you don't care, then you don't have to put anything down. That's the next. See what? You're like right ahead of me. I like it. Deadline for donations is December 1st. So you've got some time. Um, but also, as you know, as we get into the holiday season, sometimes there's so much going on, we tend to forget. I'll try not to let you forget because I'm going to keep announcing this. But nothing wrong with um, taking care of this now if you want to give this, um, to this particular ministry and great thing they do at Christmas time. Okay. We have Bibles in the back. If anyone needs one, please raise your hand if, now if you do. Don't be ashamed because now we're going to enter into the Word of God. And, and it's preached, but it's also, you can read it for yourself. And as you know, I encourage people to read the Bible on your own. And read, don't just read a couple of verses, you know. Read a whole chapter. All right, we're in chapter 12 now of the letter of 1 Corinthians. Okay, we're going to see today that 12, 13, and 14 are all about a single subject. And so if you've got the time to do so, I would encourage you to read 12, 13, and 14. They're very intertwined. There are things that are brought up in chapter 12 and chapter 13 that actually relate to things in chapter 12. So again, I encourage you to read your Bibles and also, of course, to be here to hear the Word of God preached. The title of this morning's message comes from 1 Corinthians 12. It's called Variety of Gifts, Same Spirit. Variety of gifts, same spirit. We've seen all along that there's been the difficulty in this church of people being self-centered and putting others down and causing divisions. In this area, they thought there were one or two special gifts. And they completely ignored the fact that the center of it all is the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, and God the Father. They made it all about them. But this title says it's not all about them. Everybody gets a gift. There are a whole variety of them. And yet it's unified by the same Spirit. The Spirit distributes the gifts. The Spirit is the power and the source of them. And then there's a mission that that the God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, along with the Spirit, have set in place for the whole body of Christ and all of the gifts working together. So that's what we'll be looking at this morning. At this time, I would ask you to please turn to the letter of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll begin this morning in verse 1. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. Again, as we turn to chapter 12, Paul is introducing a brand new subject. And as I've already mentioned, he's dedicating three whole chapters to that subject. That shows you the significance of it for Paul in his, in his ministry, in his pastoring, to this church at that time. Let's read the passage this morning. We're going to go from verse 1 through verse 7. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you, that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons 
God is at work in all things. God is at work in all of us. And that ties into the gifts and the ministries. There are varieties of effects, works, but the same God who works all things in all persons. God the Father. Verse 7, but to each one, not a special few, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. The Spirit is at work. The Spirit has empowered every member of the body of Christ. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Why? For the common good. This was all foreign to the way that the Corinthians were thinking at this time about being endowed with spiritual gifts. Okay, they didn't think it went to everybody. And they, they in, in fact, in practice, were using the gift not for the common good, but for their own benefit, their own um, self-promotion, actually. Again, this is chapter 12. Paul is going to dedicate 12, 13, and 14 to this subject that shows you its importance. But when you boil it all down, he's really going to answer two questions. He's going to answer two questions. The first one, what does it mean to be spiritual? What does it mean to be spiritual? Now, you would think by this point they would know the answer to that. And in fact, Paul's already brought this up before in chapter 2 and chapter 3 when he talks about the natural-minded man and then he who is spiritual. He's already taught them this. But, but they have clearly not tied that truth into how they were looking at the spiritual gifts. And therefore, they still didn't get it. Okay? And he needed to teach them. Step right back and say, listen, the first thing you need to understand is what does it mean to be spiritual? You're talking about have being endowed with these spiritual gifts, but what does it mean to be spiritual? And then the second one is, okay, how should believers, therefore, exercise their spiritual gifts in the congregation? We're going to see what they were doing then. Okay, what they were doing then was magnifying their own gifts, and they thought that a couple of them were the only real gifts, and everybody else was a second-class citizen. Ironic, isn't it? given verse 7 that what? Each one is really given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. They were the opposite of that in every way. So Paul needs to teach them and then direct them in the correct behavior. And we've seen that before. We've seen how he had to teach them about the Lord's Supper and then direct them and warn them so that they change their behavior. Well, it's the same principle at work here. He's always teaching so that they get their minds renewed, get their mind in the right place, and then says, now now that you see what it really means to be spiritual, now you see what the gifts are really all about, now here's how I want you to behave. That's not going to happen until the second part of chapter 14. And again, though, some of the saints in Corinth thought that they were the only truly, that they were only truly spiritual people, and it was them. (laughs) It always is, Right? If you think there's something special in the congregation, you usually think, well, and I'm part of it. Like the Calvinists, right? I, the Calvinism says God has chosen some to go to heaven and some to go to hell, right? But I, I hardly ever, I don't know if I've ever met a Calvinist who thought they were one of the ones that were going to the lake of fire. It's kind of interesting, you know? Same thing here. You see, they were saying there's special people with special gifts, and I'm one of them. Okay. So there were, now the gifts that they thought were the real ones were ones that were spectacular and clearly supernatural. And that was going on at that time. We'll see more of that and why that was. But they said, hey, look, here, I'm spiritual. Look at this amazing spiritual manifestation. It's spectacular, isn't it? It's supernatural. 
Okay, fair enough. But then they looked down on everybody else. They said, well, you don't have the superpowers that I have, so you must be you know, a second class, an ordinary person, not a super person like me. Now, if you want to, you're thinking, okay, well, what's, what, do, how, what gifts are we talking about? Well, there was one in particular. This controversy about, hey, I'm super spiritual and you're not, it all centered ultimately around one particular gift. There was one in particular that this controversy really came out of, and it's the ability to speak in tongues and interpret them. The ability to speak in tongues and interpret them. But Paul won't deal directly with this particular controversy until chapter 14. By the way, we have the same issues today in the church. With the same gift in many cases. Alright, we'll see about that. Paul's going to say, look, this is the least important of all of them. And yet that's the one that you're making a big deal of. He's going to say, you know, your children. Remember he said this over and over again. You know, you have to have milk, not solid food. Your babes, your children. You haven't matured and grown up yet to understand what really matters in the church. So before he gets to chapter 14 and says this is how you ought to behave, he has some basic things about the spiritual gifts that he needs to teach them. And that's 12 and 13. He teaches them these things in the first two chapters in this section, chapters 12 and 13. So with that, I'd like to give you a high-level outline of these three chapters. First... In chapter 12, Paul deals with the relationship of the gifts to each other in the body of Christ. He's going to say, we saw, today he's going to talk about varieties, all the variety that's there, and also how they relate to one another. He's going to bring up an analogy, okay, to say this is how they ought to be working together. And that analogy is a body, a human body. He's going to basically say it's the same way that a human body is made up of member, many members, but it's one body. In that same way, we have varieties of gifts, varieties of ministries, but it's one spirit, one Lord, one God the Father. Okay, so that's chapter 12. The relationship of the gifts to each other in the body of Christ. Now chapter 13 is a very interesting, some some. Think of it as, well, it's his own thing, it's separate. He kind of took a, took a, a right turn off his subject of the spiritual gifts because he was wanting to teach them about love. It had nothing to do with spirit. That's what they say. Well, it has everything to do with the spiritual gifts. It's really the heart of, what, of where he wants to go here. He, he wants to talk about love. And he wants to talk about that because the, the gifts are useless without love. You know, he's going to say things like, I could, have, I could speak with tongues of angels, but if I don't have love, it's useless. So love, in chapter 13, but also what is enduring versus what will fade away. What's enduring versus what will fade away. We'll see more of that when we get to chapter 13. In other words, chapter 13 really sets the priorities. And it says, listen, this is what's the most important thing to know is that it's your love for one another and God's love for you. And we've seen that so many times. You know, I hope you see it over and over again. The problems are complicated and the solutions are simple. And over and over again, really what it comes down to is taking your eyes off yourself and looking at the Lord and seeing things His way instead of your way. And this is a marvelous, marvelous place where this is going to go on again and again in trying to get them to see the spiritual gifts and us to see the spiritual gifts in the right perspective. 
Okay, the third part of this outline is in the first 25 verses of chapter 14. 14 verses 1 to 25. More teaching. Paul will here teach that the gift of prophecy is superior to the gift of tongues. They're both communication gifts, but one is superior to the other. It's interesting because the one that's superior to the other, they thought about the other way around. They thought, the, the, the God's eyes, this is more important because it edifies everybody. Their eyes, the other one's more important because it edifies and has the attention on me. You see it? Spiritual gift of tongues, even then when it was functioning, was the least important. And we'll see more of that. And then finally, Paul gives, finally he says, now, I, now with all of that under our belt, with understanding the variety of gifts and how they work together, with understanding the preeminence of love and understanding that there are many things which fade away and fail, but there are the things that endure. With all of that, and then he teaches the superiority of prophecy over tongues, and then he gets specific with directions. He says, now you see all of that. Here's how I want the gifts to be employed in the congregation, in particular during the worship service. Such a way that they're orderly, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've seen a lot of services in different churches, and they're anything but orderly. You know, people are flying off the walls and screeching down the halls, and everyone's talking at the same time, and crazy stuff, hooping and hollering, and the whole thing's in one music service, about 80% of it. But anyway, that's not how God set it up. He set it up orderly. He said, here's the order of importance, and here's how I want you to conduct yourself in an ordinary, I mean, an orderly, sensible manner during the worship service. And not only that, but everything that goes on should be building up everybody. Everybody. And so he's going to instruct them about that at the very end of these three chapters. So that's the big picture. Chapter 12, the gifts and their relationship in the body. Chapter 13, love and what endures. The first part of chapter 14, the gift of prophecy is superior to the gift of tongues. The end of chapter 14, specific directions about how the gifts are to be used so that the service is orderly and everyone gets built up. That's the big picture. Today we begin in chapter 12. Okay? Now, because this is the beginning, not only we, I hope you see the big picture, but I also want you to see how chapter 12 is built. Okay, I know this is a lot of outlining, but, but at the beginning, you know, that's what we do. We want to see the big picture of the three chapters. We want to see how that one chapter is structured, and then we jump in. So that's what we're going to do. Okay, chapter 12. How does he go about talking about the relationship of the gifts to each other in the body of Christ? Well, the first thing is that question we saw at the very beginning today. What, it, what does it mean to be spiritual? He, he tackles that right away. And I hope you can see that that is the most important thing. If you are talking about spiritual gifts, and you don't even know what it means to be spiritual, you're dead in the water. You're not even going to start. Okay, so that's, he t- takes that first. What it means to be spiritual. Today, in, in the world, and even in the church, there's a lot of confusion about the same thing. So many people that don't want to ever step inside a church, will say something like, I'm spiritual, I'm not religious. You know, have you ever heard that one? I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. And what they really mean is, I do whatever I want. If I, if I think I want to go look at a sunset, I'm going to call that spiritual. 
Well, you can call it what you want, but it's not spiritual according to the Bible. You see it? Some people think is that you can turn it on and turn it off. You know, I'm spiritual, I'm not spiritual. She loves me, she loves me not. Um, that's not it either, you know. But what, what is it? What's the essence of being spiritual? That's the first three verses in chapter 12. Then he goes on to saying there's many gifts and there's one source. There's a variety of gifts. They're all there. They're all important. They're all from God. But never forget there's one source and one purpose. If you forget that, again, you're out of the picture as far as God's plan and design for the gifts. Then he goes on and talks about how they're distributed. The Holy Spirit distributes them in a certain way. Here he'll give some examples of spiritual gifts in verses 8 through 11. I say examples because that list isn't going to start to exhaust them all. We're going to see, as a matter of fact, that we really can't come up with a definitive set and limit it to these are the gifts because... There, he says there's varieties, and he's not limiting it to what he lists in chapter 12. Now, the heartbeat of chapter 12 is in verses 12 to 27. He brings out the analogy of the body, and he uses that as a powerful teaching tool so that they understand what is going on in terms of how the gifts are supposed to function together. He's also going to say in this chapter that it's more than a teaching tool because you actually have all been entered into the body of Christ. Okay, Then at the end of chapter 12 now, it tells us that God is the one who has established the order. There's an order to the gifts. It's God's order. See, their order was there's only two, and tongues is on top, and prophecy is next to it. We're going to see that in God's order, tongues is at the bottom. It's least of importance in God's way of thinking it. So that's 28 to 30. All right, you done with outlining? That enough? That's a lot. I know that. But it's good to be structured and organized, right? We're talking about God having things orderly. It's good for us as well to have an orderly picture of things as we proceed through here. 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter 12 now. We've been in 1 Corinthians through the first 11 chapters. And I hope, above all else, perhaps, that what, is, what has been obvious to you is that the problem of this church, selfishness, self-centered, all about me. That led to rivalries. It always will. If everyone's focused on what they can get out of something, what benefits them, their importance, then there's always going to be a clique of people who think they're the most important, and you're going to have rivalries based on who knows. Earlier on, we saw that the rivalries were supposedly based on what, what, what apostle they thought was the best one. Right? Then there were some who said, well, you know, we're a little more mature because we can handle going into an idol's temple. You can't. Division, rivalry. Same thing at the Lord's Supper, right? Didn't we see that the rich were over here eating their meal, and then the poor, if they had anything, would eat it separately? Division, division, division. Now in chapter 12, they're going to use the spiritual gifts the same way. They have been. They're going to use that as a source of division. Our gifts are better, and our gifts are the only ones that matter, and we're going to dominate the worship service because we're more important. And you other ones over here are less important. And once again, just like the Lord's Supper, where that was a total contradiction to the meaning of the supper, where he died for all of us. Now here in chapter 12, what they're doing is a total contradiction to what it means to be spiritual and the purpose of gifts. The purpose of gifts is for the common good, all together. And yet they were using it to divide. 
Again and again we see this in this church. Selfishness, self-centered people, rivalries and divisions. And that will stop a church dead in its tracks. When we start only thinking about ourselves, you know, people say, you know, I, I went to church, but I didn't get much out of it. Have you ever heard people say that? Yeah. Well, that's totally backwards. The question is, what did you put into it? You, you, we all have spiritual gifts. They're all needed. You have one. Whatever you have, we need just as much as any other. So that you shouldn't really be gathering together to say, what's in it for me? You should be gathered together to say, I worship the Lord, and I want to see what's in it for all of us. And they missed that completely. As a matter of fact, they were abusing the spiritual gifts to assert superiority. Boy, because we have no trouble today with certain men wanting to be superior in the church, right? You know, how big is your congregation? Mine's bigger than yours. I got more money. I got a bigger building. I, 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 I. When that, of course, whenever you hear a pastor or a leader say that, that's the magic word, I, forget about it. They're totally, they don't know the first thing. Because you want to know something? This isn't my church. This isn't my building. I don't bring people here. Okay? We all do. I have one gift out of a variety. And I focus on that. But, as, but in no way is this my Whose church is this? The Lord Jesus Christ. He's the head. That's right. One head. It's not me. It's not the elders. It's not the song singers. Okay? It's Jesus Christ. So they were abusing their gifts to assert their spirit, spirit, spiritual superiority. Wow, that's a mouthful. Superior. I'm superior to you. And then not only is that bad enough, but then they actively put down the rest of the people. And that goes on in churches today in different ways. I give more money, I'm better than you. My kids turned out better than yours, I'm better than you. I get to sit in the front because I led the food drive, I'm better than you. Right? I, I, I have a gift that everybody thinks is so cool. Maybe I'm a great singer, I'm better than you. Maybe I'm a great preacher, I'm better than you. Maybe I'm a big, great evangelist. I'm better than all those other evangelists out there. We certainly have the same problems today in the church. But at this time, the biggest offenders of all were those who had the spiritual gift of tongues. And make no mistake, they had it. But they had it wrong. They had no idea about the importance of the different gifts. So Paul has to basically overturn the tables like Jesus did in the temple. He just he says, listen, you know, I'm going to totally uh, back away and turn around and go thinking on this. Because the fact of the matter is, they thought they were so spiritual, but in fact, the Corinthian church was fleshly. We saw that in chapter 3. They were a fleshly, immature church. They were all about rivalries and bickerings and thinking more highly of one than the other and taking each other to court and all of the stuff we've seen. You know, celebrating the fact that Somebody's involved in flagrant sinning. I mean, in every way, if you march through this letter, you'll see again and again just how fleshly these people were. So it was laughable when you think about it that they were saying, we, we, we few and mighty are spiritual. Oh, really? Well, you see, the fact of the matter was that those people, just like today, that were making themselves out to be the super spiritual ones, we have that today. We have people who think they're super spiritual and better than other people. Well, in fact, people like that are the most fleshly of all. They think they're the most spiritual and they're the most fleshly. Isn't it ironic? 
There's a lot of irony, and Paul brings it out in terms of their behavior and how they thought. And the gift they thought was the most important turns out to be the least important in God's eyes. Okay, that's our overview of this section of chapter 12. And now we are going to walk verse by verse in chapter 12, the first seven verses. So we're going to see that uh, when we, by the time we get to verse 7, we'll have already seen the overall message of chapters 12 through 14. We're going to end there today in verse 7. We're going to start up again next week in the same verse. But let's begin by the first, with the first three verses of chapter 12. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. Irony, by the way. They thought they were totally aware. They thought they knew what what spirituality was all about. They were sure that the ones with the spectacular gifts were really displaying it more than anybody else. But Paul says, you know what? You're really not aware. You're not aware. You should be and you're not. I do not want you to be unaware. Notice, you know that when you were pagans... You were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. In other words, you were led there all sorts of ways, but you all were swept up, and you went in there and you worshipped idols that couldn't even speak. Verse 3, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. I love that, because a lot of people don't understand that principle. The only reason that we can believe in Christ is because of the illumination and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And after that, the only reason that we can declare Jesus is Lord, we would never come up with that in our flesh. The only reason that we can say that is because of the Spirit prompting us to do so. Now, you know, verses 2 and 3, a lot of people have trouble with this. And I'll admit, they're not easy to understand. He's talking about mute idols. He's talking about somebody saying Jesus is accursed. What is this all about? Not easy to understand. And as a result of that, many, many people and teachers skip over these completely. Like, yeah, yeah, that's not important. We're really here to talk about the gifts, and that begins in verse 4, the real material. Well, that is a huge mistake to think about it that way. Because whether you realize it or not, and I didn't realize it until I really studied this, but the first three verses tell us what the three chapters are really all about. What is it at its essence, at the heart? What is it all about? Well, this, this, just these three verses not only tell us that, but the way that Paul does it makes any claim to being the elites and the super spiritual look ridiculous. You may not see that. I'll try to point it out, but they saw it. They saw already in the first three verses that what they thought was what it meant to be spiritual was absolutely ridiculous. Now, the first couple of words, now concerning... What does it mean? We've seen those words before. This is Paul's marker. He says, this is now material that comes from the letter that the Corinthians sent him. He always starts that way when he's bringing them out a question that they had. Now concerning. By the way, in verse 1, where it says concerning spiritual gifts, as a matter of fact, the word gifts is not found in the Greek. It's added by the translators. It literally says this. Concerning the spirituals. See, it's an adjective, it's plural, but the noun isn't given. All right? We're going to see why. Why would Paul write it that way? Well, probably because that was the way that they asked the question. And Paul's, again, going to turn this around. He's going to say, that's how you see it, but here's how it really is. Okay? 
Now, this is a little technical, but that Greek word there for spirituals, it can either be masculine or neuter. In other words, it can either be a he or an it. And it's not clear because it's not said in the Greek. What does that boil down to? Well, it means that it could either be spiritual men or spiritual things. And in the context, the things in particular are the gifts. So is this talking about spiritual men and women, or is it talking about spiritual gifts? Now, it's really likely that they, the Corinthians, meant it to be ultra-super-spiritual men. They were all focused on the man with the gift. They were all say, hey, they were probably saying, hey, concerning the spirituals out there, it's us who are really spiritual, right? Well, that's what they thought, not what God thought. So when they saw, that, when they used this word, they meant the men. Paul's going to turn that around and say it's not the man, it's the gift. And he's going to use a particular word for gift. He's saying this is talking about the spiritual gifts given to each person, not just a few, for the common good not just to promote yourselves. I'm going to give you one Greek word today, and that's the word for gifts here in chapter 12. Okay, it'll show up later, verse 4. But the word is charismata. It's where, by the way, it's so interesting that that's where um, people who think the gifts are still, the, uh, the miracle gifts and the tongue, the sign gifts are still in operation today. That's what they call themselves, charismatic. It's ironic, <laughs> Because, well, first of all, these gifts are not in operation anymore. But what's the word mean? Well, the first six letters are charis. That should ring a bell to some of us. It means grace. Well, why is that important? Well, it's important because the people thought there was something great about them. They became super spiritual, and of course they got this gift because they're the special people. But the word charis means grace. And grace means God freely giving without any consideration of who you are. And that, of course, flipped things. It's not about you. It's not about how great you are. It's about God graciously giving you and me and everybody else the gift that he wants us to have because he's putting together the body of Christ and he knows what the community needs and he has distributed, distributed all of them in that way. It's gracious. The root word, again, is charis. Grace. These gifts were freely given without regard to merit. Without regard to merit. The Corinthians were all about merit. All about who's better. That's not what these are about. No strings attached either. That's grace, right? We love it. We're studying that on Thursday evenings with eternal security. That Since all of the things that we've been, been given, provided, that even Christ on the cross, and all of the things that we get when we're born again, like eternal life and being declared righteous, those are all gifts. Nothing to do with our merit. And therefore, they're not going to be lost because God has given them, he's promised us that we're going to have them forever. Without merit. In other words, there's no cause for boasting. That's really what it's all about. And that's why Paul writes, I do not want you to be unaware with, ir- with irony. Because they thought they were well aware of who the spiritual heroes were. That's what they were talking about, spiritual men. But the fact is that they didn't know the first thing about what it meant to be spiritual. And they showed that in how they were behaving and thinking. They even showed it in the question, the form of the question that they asked. 
absolutely sure that they, that they were talking about what was important, which was spiritual men, important men. But being spiritual has nothing to do with that. Look at verse 2. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols. However you were led, don't forget where you came from. Think about that, and I hope it's humbling. Because it's got nothing to do with you, that you were brought into this, and that you were gifted with a spiritual gift. Because as a matter of fact, if it wasn't for the Lord giving all the things that he's given you, you would still be there, carried about by every wind of lie that gets you in there and kneeling before false idols. And then he goes on in verse 3, Therefore I make it known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now in those two verses, who's spiritual? I mean, it's kind of obvious, right, when he puts it this way? People led astray to the mute idols are not spiritual. But also, anybody who speaks by the, who says Jesus is a curse clearly is not spiritual. And they'd be on board with all of that, obviously, obviously. But then he says, well, that leaves one category. And it's the people that say Jesus is Lord. They're the spiritual ones because they're led by the Holy Spirit. The pagans carried away to mute idols. Those were, they were dumb. I mean, more ways than one. That word means couldn't speak. Their so-called gods couldn't even speak or hear or see or anything, and yet they worship these false idols. That shows you how low human flesh can get when it comes to worship. Don't, don't just think because somebody looks pious and holy and they're observant and they're parading a statue through the commons and all that, that there's anything going on there, spiritual. No, it's not that. And they were obviously not spiritual at the time when they were doing that. And again, the the super spiritual people that they thought they were, the tongue speakers were saying, of course, that's not spiritual. They they were mute idols. They couldn't even speak. You know, listen to us in our great speech. We know we're the spiritual ones. But then in verse 3, I make it known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. Again, the Corinthians, especially the super spiritual ones, so so they thought, was probably say, Paul, man, you have a flair for the obvious. Of course, everybody knows that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will say those words, Jesus is a curse. It doesn't take any discernment at all to figure that out, Paul. Why are you wasting our time? Heck, anybody can see that. Not only us super spiritual ones, but, you know, the second string sitting over there, well, we don't even think are spiritual. Even they know this, Paul. I want to tell you something about those words. Jesus is a curse. Nobody in the congregation was saying those words. Okay? People come up with all these theories about why someone would say it. and Forget about it. Nobody in the congregation was usually using those words. Paul is taking a hypothetical, the most extreme one he can think of, all right, to make his point. He's saying, I'm going to give you the worst thing I can come up with. And then I'm going to say, that's not spiritual. And you're going to say, of course. But you know, you're not realizing that I'm setting you up, Paul said, so that you see all of this stuff and you agree with it, and then, but then you have to say, well, what's left? And that is, all of this is spiritual, all of these. In other words, in, the, in, in verse 2, in the first half of verse 3, when he's talking about dumb idols and saying Jesus is cursed, he's saying that's not spiritual when everyone can agree. They're all nodding their heads, yes, yes. But then I, hit, I hope it hit home. To them, Because, in fact, they were like that. 
before by the grace of God they became believers in Christ. By grace you have been saved through faith that not of yourselves, lest anyone should boast. They were pagans and they worshipped mute idols. If they were unbelieving Jews, they, they're, they're, what was going on with the unbelieving Jews at that time, they did blaspheme about Jesus. Right here in Corinth they did, the unbeliever Jews. Please turn to Acts 18. Hold your place here in 1 Corinthians, but look at Acts 18. We're going to look at verses 5 and 6. Acts 18 is a historical record of the time period between the ascension of Christ into heaven and when Paul's in prison, moves from a a Jewish church in Jerusalem to a Jewish and Gentile church all throughout the known world. But in chapter 18, it's a record of Paul in Corinth with with forming this church that he's now writing to. I want you to notice what happened back then. Acts 18, 5-6. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, preaching God's word. And he solemnly testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. He's their Messiah. How did they respond? Well, they responded the same way as when they heard that message from, from Jesus Christ himself. And when Peter delivered it, most of them resisted. Not only that, but look at verse 6. But when they resisted and what else? Blasphemed. See, the Jews who were not believers blasphemed. The Greeks laughed. You know, when Paul was in Athens and he told them that Jesus rose from the dead, they just laughed at him. That was their response. That's not wise. That's foolishness. But the Jews, when they heard that, they were angry. And they resisted the message and they blasphemed. And at that point, he shook his garments and said, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So all of this, you can go back to 1 Corinthians 12. No, you, no, you can't. <laughs> but in your mind, you can. But see, that when he talks about the mute idols, and he talks about the curses and the blasphemy, that must have been humbling to all the saints there, whether they were formerly pagans or whether they were Jews. And he's making things crystal clear. He's saying, here's you when you are not spiritual. Here's what it means to be spiritual. Once you were swept along to sit in front of an idol that couldn't even speak, or you were blinded, so blinded by false religion that when you open your mouth to speak about the Lord's Son, the God's Son, what came out was blasphemy. Things that cannot be of the Spirit of God. But what does it mean to be spiritual? Very simple. Everyone, everyone who declares that Jesus is Lord is enabled to do so by the Holy Spirit. What's spiritual is what is enabled by the Holy Spirit. Period. Period. And so that's why Paul, again, already dealt with this. Please go back to chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. Go, yeah. Go forward, actually, in the Bible. But it's earlier in the letter of 1 Corinthians. Please go all the way back to chapter 2, verse 12. I mentioned earlier that Paul has already dealt with this issue in his letter, what it means to be spiritual. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world. Spirit of the world acting in the sons of disobedience, unbelievers, pagan and Jewish. We haven't received that spirit, but instead the spirit who is from God. 
That's what it means to be spiritual. So that we may know the things freely given us by God. To be spiritual is to know things. Not to behave in a certain way. It's to be knowing things that have been freely given by God. Which things we also speak. Those are the things we speak. They're intelligible. They're not gibberish. And they speak not in words taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. The words that count. The words that display spirituality are those words taught by the Holy Spirit. And they're first thought and then they're spoken, combining spiritual with spiritual. What does it mean to be spiritual? It means to anybody who received the Holy Spirit is spiritual. Anybody who's received the Holy Spirit is spiritual. And my friends, each and every believer in Christ has received the Spirit. Therefore, each and every believer in Christ is spiritual. God gave us the Spirit in our hearts the moment we believed in Christ. That's what it means to be spiritual. Each and every believer believes that Jesus is Lord. You can't be a believer if you don't believe that, by the way. If you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then you can't believe the gospel. Because the gospel is God's Son became flesh and died for us on the cross. So anybody who realizes that Jesus is Lord is a believer. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is God. That's what he's saying. If you believe Jesus is God, then you're spiritual. That's the heart of the gospel. To preach Christ Jesus is Lord. That's what we see in 2 Corinthians 4 5. You don't have to go there. You can check it out later. Paul said, we preach Christ Jesus is Lord. The essence of living as a Christian, think about this. The essence. What does it mean to live as a Christian? It's real simple. To see that we are the Lord's and that therefore we should live for the Lord. Isn't that simple? We all together are the Lord's. We are literally a gift from the Father to the Lord Jesus Christ. We belong to him. We've been purchased by him. And we are to glorify him in our bodies. We're going to live for the Lord. That's the Christian life right there. Please turn to Romans chapter 14, starting in verse 7. This is the essence of being spiritual right here. To understand that Jesus is Lord. Romans 14, 7. But not one of us lives for himself. Well, the Corinthians were. Not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Can I get an amen? We live for the Lord. That's what it means to be a Christian walking on this planet. If we die, we die for the Lord. When it's our time to die, it's for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And that is a statement of fact. Just like Jesus is Lord is a statement of fact. He is Lord of both the dead and of the living. And again, anyone who says that Jesus is Lord is spiritual. It has nothing to do with what gift you have. It has nothing to do with having anything supernatural. It has to do with saying Jesus is Lord. The great leveling. Everybody everybody who's a Christian knows that Jesus is Lord. Everybody, therefore, is spiritual, and everybody gets a spiritual gift. Please turn back to 1 Corinthians 12, in verse 4, and we'll see what else is here. 1 Corinthians 12, 4. 
Tongues people thought they were the only spiritual ones. Maybe the people had prophesied thought the same. But Paul says every believer in Christ is spiritual because you have the Holy Spirit. That's what it means. Not about you. Not about what you've done or thought or accomplished. It's about who's in you. Christ and the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12.4 There are varieties of gifts. Not just two, but the same Spirit. That's the key. There are varieties of ministries. In other words, God's calling to how you're supposed to minister to people. There are a variety of ways that we can minister, but there's one Lord Jesus Christ. There are varieties of effects. Things that are at work, God at work, but there's same God working all those things in all people. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. I'd like you to take verse 7, cut it out, and paste it on the wall of your heart. This is the whole heartbeat of the three chapters. You can see all of the three chapters through the lens of this one verse. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit, spiritual gift, for the common good. So if you think that only a few are spiritual, you got it wrong. Each person gets the manifestation of the Spirit, and the purpose of them is not to glorify self, but to build everybody up. This is the heart of what Paul would try to get across to them in these three chapters. Each one for the common good. Each believer receives a spiritual gift, and every one of them is necessary. In fact, the ones that were the less spectacular were more necessary than the others. More necessary. Two things matter, and only two, when it comes to spiritual gifts. Their source and their purpose. This is real simple. It's right here. What's their source? God. They forgot that. Simple, isn't it? They all come from God. We can't boast. And then what's the purpose? The common good. That's it. That is basically these three chapters. If you get that, then you get the spiritual gifts. But you see, they didn't. And he's going to think about it. He's going to need to teach them for two and a half chapters what this means. But that's really it. The sources from God, their purpose is the common good. Verse 4 again, there are varieties of gifts with the same spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all, per- in all persons. There's nothing special about any person. They're freely given these gifts by God for his purpose. They're by grace. No one can boast. I want you to notice, too, in verses 4 through 6, all trinities there. You see that? The Spirit, the Lord, and God the Father. And that tells us something. Really important, actually. That here, and in many other places, all the members of the Trinity participate. They all work together. They're a team. They're a team. That's God is a team. And therefore, he's designed the body of Christ to be a team. Now, I say designed because there's many times when the people aren't acting like they're a team. But that's the design. That's what God has done by giving us all a gift. Three times here, he says, varieties in the same. Varieties in the same. That's important too. Why? There are many of us. It's obvious. There are many gifts. That wasn't so obvious to them, but I hope you see that. However, one God at the center of it all. He distributes the gifts. You have your gift because God decided you should have it. Just as he desires. 
Not what you want. You don't get the gift you want. Kind of like Christmas for a lot of us growing up. We didn't get the gift we wanted. But in God's case, it's the best possible gift. This, the lists we're going to see in chapter 12, they don't exhaust all the gifts. There's more than that. In fact, there's four major lists of gifts in the New Testament. We'll see that. Each one is different. Right? Now, if you think that you're supposed to have a definitive list, you'll be very confused. Because you're not going to find it. And what does that say to us? It says this. Here's what's important. Not, oh, I have this gift, I have that gift, I'm going to categorize the gifts. and all. No, that doesn't matter. This matters. Source is God, purpose is common good. If you get on board with that, trust me, you'll be operating in your spiritual gift. So, Corinthians, by the way, the two lists and even there's two lists in chapter 12, and they're different. <laughs> Varieties. Again, the Corinthians thought only the spectacular ones were spiritual. Paul says all the gifts are manifestations of the Spirit. The Lord has given us a variety of ministries, but we all serve Him. And this is another thing to think about. Now, think about your gift, when you have. You don't get a gift unless you also get a call to serve. Now, we know we all get a gift. We, we love that. But we may want to back away from the call to service. But it's, it's all part of it. You know, and as a matter of fact, people with the most spectacular gifts were more likely to use it to build themselves up. Those unexciting gifts like helps, administration, teaching, giving, these are gifts that can only serve others. That's what they're all about. They're clearly all about. No matter what they are, just remember... God is at work. Real simple. God is at work. That's the exciting part of spiritual gifts, that God is at work among all of us, using what he's given us for his purpose in the body of Christ. We're his workmanship. He gave us and prepared our good works ahead of time so we can just walk in them. And God is at work in each one of us to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's Philippians 2.13. At the end of the day, what matters is that God is at work with all of us and it's for his pleasure and purpose. All right, next week we're going to come back to verse 7. We're going to start there and we're going to see examples of the gifts and understand the role of the Spirit in distributing them. Thank you for your patience. I know we went a little longer than we usually do, but I want to get through this material so that we're ready for next week. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we see that the source of all of the gifts that we've been gifted with is you, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We know that what matters is that we are exercising love for the common good. And then we, we know that that was where the manifestation from the Spirit will be seen, will be obvious. So we don't worry about what gift we have. We should act in keeping with your will and the love of the brethren and the common good, and then our gift will come out. And Father, as we close today, we just also want to thank you for the greatest gift of all, your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. You made us alive. And Jesus Christ died for us, for our sins, and was buried. And on the third day, you raised him from the dead, so that whoever believes this good news will never perish, but have eternal life. That is the greatest gift of all. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Father, we also ask that, uh, that the rest of our time together would be blessed and that we would have an opportunity to build each other up as well. Amen. All right, a couple of things. Next Bible study is, next, is this Thursday, October 25th at 7. Please, please come. We're a great subject. Build everybody up. You want to be here for this. Mentioned last week, I'll mention quickly this week, people, our, our policy in giving is uh, that when the Lord gives you the ability and gives you the motive, then that is how you should, you should freely give like he does. When you want to do that, we have three ways. Our box doesn't look anything like that in the back, but, oh, we're done. Oh, I see what happened. We're done. Never mind. You think we can, there's a box in the back. We have a mail. You can mail. You can go online. All right. Let's again close in prayer and get ready for the luncheon. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for uh, everything that you've given to us. We also want to thank and praise you, Father, for the food that you're going to provide today. We thank you, Father. We know it's one more demonstration of your grace and your love. We're blown away by all the gifts you've given us and how, how great you take care of us. And so with that, again, we just want to give you thanks for this meal. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, you're dismissed for now. I hope you all can stay and uh, enjoy the meal.